This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Tonight we want to uh, go in the Word of God to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading from verse 25 and following. Everywhere that Jesus went, uh, usually there would be multitudes that would follow him. And mixed in among those multitudes, invariably there would be the scribes and Pharisees. Not that they were wanting really uh, to hear Jesus, but in many ways to try to check out his theology and his methodology, check out the things he said and how he did things with the sole purpose of being super hypercritical and to try to trip him up in some way to accuse him, accuse him of being a blasphemer. At one time they said he was, had a devil. And so these were people who constantly were on the watch and listening to try to find something in Christ that they could attack. And that's the context, reading from verse 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you have to understand a lawyer here is not like a barrister or a lawyer in a court of law. A lawyer or a scribe is someone who has been highly trained in the law of Moses, in the Torah. He researched it continually. And any Jew could go to a scribe or a lawyer and ask any question at all about the law and would fully expect to get a correct answer because they were the experts in the law. And we see here that this certain lawyer, he stood up and tested him. And so his motivation is obvious uh, he's trying to find some kind of a area that he can get into Christ's life to criticize or condemn. And so he tested Jesus saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now generally if somebody would ask that question, you'd be happy to give that answer immediately. If somebody was really soul-searching, and they were genuine, but Jesus knew the heart of every man, and he certainly knew the heart of this man. And so his motivation, he had an ulterior motive in asking this question. And so Jesus, being too wise to be caught out with tricky questions, knew exactly what to do. And often what Jesus would do when somebody would pose a question like this, who weren't genuine, often what he would do would answer that question by asking a question. And that's exactly what he did here. He turned it around on him. And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Uh, this is the language of the, the lawyers. Because when the lawyers would get together, they would have all these debates about the minutiae of the law. 
and they would ask each other, well, what's your take on it? What do you think about it? What does Dr. So-and-so say? What does Rabbi So-and-so say? And so they'd have all these conversations. Uh, what do you think about it? So Jesus immediately used the language of the lawyer, and he said, well, what is your reading of it? If I could paraphrase, well, you're the expert. You're the trained one. You're the one with the degrees. So what do you think? I'm anxious to hear what you would think. So he said, what is written in the law? What are you reading of it? He answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so he immediately quotes scripture. I mean, he just memorized banks of scripture. And he quoted from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. That's correct. Exactly so. But he says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will have eternal life. Now, Jesus is not preaching works here. He knew it was actually impossible to keep the whole law and to do what he said to do, that man would fail in doing this. He also knew that whenever he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he also knew that he actually wasn't really loving his neighbor as himself because they didn't have much love, the scribes and the Pharisees. They really didn't show any love. They put burdens on people that people couldn't even bear, and they left not one finger to help them. So Jesus bounced it back to him. He said, well, you've answered rightly, so do this and you will live. Knowing that he couldn't do it, know that he wasn't doing it. But he says, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Self-righteous people will always, always, always try to justify themselves. And that's what he's doing here. Because Jesus pricked him. Jesus put his finger right on the spot. Do this and live. But he's trying to justify himself because he knows he's in a pickle now because Jesus has turned the tables. He says, well, well, who is my neighbor? Because you must understand that, that Jews, a, a neighbor, by the way, is not the person who lived next door. That's not what he's saying. But your acquaintances are those you come in contact with. And the Jews had a very narrow field of friends and acquaintances. It would be immediate family. It would be close relatives. In the case of the lawyer, it would be colleagues, those he studied with. And... Uh, and Jews. But that's the extent of it. Certainly wouldn't be a Gentile. Oh, no. There's no possible way that he would be friends with a Gentile. To, to actually go to a home of a Gentile and eat food with him, that would be sacrilegious. And no self-respecting Jew would dare do such a thing. <laughs> and the thought of a Samaritan in a moment, that's just beyond his imagination. No possible way could you do this. So he is my neighbor. And that's where Jesus then begins to give this parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Notice how he answers. He said, he who showed mercy on him. He couldn't even bear to say the word Samaritan. I mean, it was patently obvious, the answer. And he knew that. But he couldn't even say, he couldn't get it over his mouth, the actual word Samaritan. So the best he could do was, well, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. (laughs) Jesus had him right at that moment because he knew this was what he was not doing. You see, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength obligates you to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you truly love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, then you will love your neighbor as yourself. And it's obvious he's not doing that. And Jesus, of course, knew that. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans, those half-breeds with their strange religion, where they worshipped at Mount Gerizim, where they took some of the Jewish religion and mixed it in with their pagan religion. I mean, a Jew would have walked on the other side of the street if he saw a Samaritan. To get from one part of the country to the other, they would take great detours so they wouldn't go through Samaria. Jesus went to Samaria, didn't he? Deliberately went into Samaria and met the woman at the well. But not these guys. And so Jesus had him here. Go and do likewise. So that's the, the context of the parable. And obviously Jesus is teaching here about loving your neighbor, showing the love of God, not just to those whom you would naturally normally love, but to those that it wouldn't come naturally and normally to love. And that's the big challenge, isn't it? That's what we find so difficult. All of us find that difficult. And just perhaps when you think that you can handle that, something comes up or someone comes up in your life and you find it very, very difficult to love that person as yourself. And then, of course, we've got to deal with prejudice and racism and all those things because... This guy had lots of problems with racism and prejudice and bigotry and all of that. So Jesus says, well, go and do likewise. 
You know what the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Fine, you know that in theory. But in practice, do you do that? And that's the challenge for us because we know the theory of it, don't we? We're on the road long enough to know all the theories. But when it comes right down to the practice of it, that's the big challenge. And Jesus cut through all that religiosity. He cut through all of that and got right to the heart of the problem is you're not doing it. That's what he's saying to this man. You're not doing this. You know what you ought to do. You know it's in the scripture. You can see it there. You can quote it, but you're actually not doing it. And that's the challenge to me, and that's the challenge to you, and the challenge to every believer. And that's the tough part. And Jesus had a way, hadn't he, in conversations with anyone to get right to the heart of the matter. Usually fairly quickly, too. And so that's the the context of the parable. And it's a beautiful, beautiful parable. But if I may tonight, if I may take that just a little bit further, because I think I can see Christ in this Samaritan. I can think, I, I think I see the character and the nature of Christ in this Samaritan. I think this is what Jesus would do if he was in that position of the Samaritan. And I think that's what he wants us to do if we're in a position of the Samaritan. So I want you to notice tonight, first thing in verse 33 regarding the Samaritan, he came to where he was. He came to where he was. The other two, the religious two, the priest and the Levite, the priests were the ones who officiated the Levites are the one who helped them officiate. And both were very religious. The Levites were born into that. But both of them had opportunity to help this man and neither of them took it. The best they did was came and look and then pass by on the other side. Because they would look and say, that's not my neighbor. Who is this person? Is he a Gentile? Probably. Is he a traitor passing through? Maybe. But he's got nothing to do with me. Uh, he's not my neighbor. He's not a Jew. He's not religious, probably. We don't know who this person is. So he's not my neighbor, so I'm not obligated to do anything. That was the attitude, and they passed by on the other side. And that's exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees would have done, exactly, and Jesus knew that. But the Samaritan came to where he was. The Samaritan who had no cultural, historic, religious obligation, he was the one who came to where he was. And remember, Jesus came to where we were. He came from his heaven to our earth. He came from the glory to the mess of this world. He came to where we were. He came to where human beings were. 
He entered into the arena of human suffering. He came, the Bible says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came as a human being. He took upon himself humanity. God took on himself humanity. You couldn't get any closer than that. He left the splendor and the majesty of heaven and he came to walk the very roadway of this life. He came to the place of our humanity and he took it upon himself. He came to the place of our griefs and our sorrows and he became acquainted with them. He came to the place of death and dying and he conquered it. He came to the place of our curse and he delivered us from it. He came to the place of our defeat and he gave us victory. He came to where he was. Aren't you glad Jesus came to where we were? Every one of us here tonight are listening to me could point to a time and an hour when Christ came to where we were and some of us wasn't a very good place some of us weren't in a very good place but in his mercy and in his love he came to where we were because he loved us verse 33 and when he saw him he had compassion on him The hallmark of Christ's ministry was compassion. That's what moved him. That's what motivated him. It wasn't because he had the power to do what he did, and he had. But he had the compassion to use that power to do what he did. Compassion motivated Jesus. It drove him. It caused him to to go out of his way to help people. To take that special journey to the other side of the lake, to Gadara. I remember whenever Gary and I was on that little boat on the Sea of Galilee a couple of years ago, and you can see Gadara at the other side of Galilee. I remember thinking, Jesus on this side heard the cry of the man on that side. Now, whether it was his cry was wafting over the lake or the wind, I don't know, or whether in his spirit he saw and heard this man's cry. But whatever it was, he made that special journey just to get to that one man, to deliver him, to set him free. Hallelujah. What did that? His compassion. Matthew 9 and 14 and 15. You read those chapters, you see that Jesus was moved with compassion to touch people, to heal people, to minister to people. And even when he was tired and weary, even when he tried to get away with his disciples for a break, and he went out in the boat, but they ran around and followed him. And when he got off the boat, there was a multitude there. And what did he do? His compassion tired and all as he was, his compassionate heart reached out to minister to the multitude. It says that this man, this Samaritan, had compassion on him. And it moved him to do something. No compassion on the religious ones. That's not my neighbor. I don't know who he is. I could care less. 
I'm not going to get involved in this. But not the Samaritan. His compassion. He had no obligation. None. Other than his compassionate heart. When he saw him, it moved him. Verse 34, and he went to him. He came to where he was. Verse 33, verse 34, and he went to him. Jesus came from where he was and he went to us. He came from the glory and he went to us. Verse 33, for speaking of Christ, his coming generally, verse 34, his coming specifically. He came to where he was and he went to him specifically. Verse 33, his coming to the world at large. Verse 34, to us in particular. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. It's just that one person. Jesus could spot the one person in the whole crowd. How many times when you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus' conversations with the one person? There's like 40-something conversations Jesus had with one person. And multitudes followed him every day. But somehow he would meet with one person. He's always interested in the individual. The individual. And even though I look at you all tonight... Christ sees you all tonight, but he sees you all as individuals. One size doesn't fit all with God. Because <laughs> all of us are individual with individual needs, with individual personalities, with individual talents, with individual problems, with individual difficulties and tests and trials. And the Lord knows exactly who we are. It was the cry of Bartimaeus above the crowd that arrested Jesus. There was a lot of noise and hubbub going on that day. Again, a multitude. And people probably shouting and pushing and shoving. And the little woman made her way and touched the hem of his garment and stopped him dead in his tracks. Who touched me? Lord, everybody's touching you. Ah, but somebody touched me. Really touched me. Really touched me. I felt virtue go out of me. It says, and he went to him. In verse 34, and he bound up his wounds. You know, this man lying here, he's beaten, he's bloodied, he's broken, he's stripped. His life is just messed up. Life has just beat this man up. And life and sin beats people up. There's people beaten up tonight. There's people out there in the streets tonight of our cities who are beaten up. They're lying in doorways, beaten up. I don't mean just physically beaten up, but I mean just life has just beaten them up and stripped them of dignity and almost stripped them of their humanity and are just lying there Beaten, wounded, broken, hearted. That's what the world does on us, isn't it? 
That's what the devil does. That's what sin does. It just breaks people and beats people and strips people. But this Samaritan, he comes, he has compassion on him, and he bound up his wounds. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds. Isaiah 61 and 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And that's the very scripture Jesus quoted in the synagogue that day, wasn't it? When they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, he opened it right at that very page. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. I've come to do this. This is what was prophesied of me. I'm here, and I'm going to begin right now. He binds up the brokenhearted, the broken minds, the broken hopes and dreams, the broken relationships and marriages, the broken bodies. He binds them up, the wounds. There's some people today who's got tremendous testimonies of how they were so badly broken in life and Christ in his mercy saved them and they've got a wonderful testimony of God's grace and they love the Lord and their life has just been put back together again. And notice in verse 34, he poured in the oil and the wine. You know, travelers, they would take a bottle of wine, a little cruise of oil, often for refreshment, the long, hot, arduous journey. Or if they get grazed or bruised or cut or something, they could pour some of the wine in to cleanse it and some of the oil to soothe it. And so he saw this man broken and beaten and blooded and he'd pour some of the wine to cleanse and some of the oil to soothe and Sunday mornings generally almost every Sunday morning we have the emblems of bread and wine in that case the, the wine stands for the blood the blood that cleanses of all of our sins that makes us white and righteous before a holy God. Only the blood of Jesus can forgive us and cleanse us and wipe the whole slate clean. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't the gospel of such a wonderful, wonderful thing that it can take a man who's broken and beaten or a man who's sinful and, and, and just life is just terrible and just totally and utterly just wipe everything clean. And the oil invariably speaks of the Holy Spirit that brings comfort and revives and refreshes. Hmm. And that's the thing that Jesus did for us, wasn't it? He cleansed us, wiped the state clean, filled us with his spirit, refreshed us, revived us, and got us going. Glory to God. 
and in verse 34, and set him on his animal. Which implies that now he's walking and the man is sitting where he sat. The man is now sitting where he sat. You get the image? The Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places. We sit where he is sat. Seated in heavenly places with Christ. Seated at the Father's right hand in heavenly places. That's where Jesus is. Possession of all power and all authority. But he says we are also seated in heavenly places with Christ. Ephesians 2.26 And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so this, this Samaritan had such compassion. He was so wanting to help this man that he was prepared to walk and let him sit where he sat. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. I have the feeling that this man knew the innkeeper. I'll tell you why in a moment. I had that feeling. We saw there that when he took him to the inn, that he had to leave him there because he had to go away. He had other business to take care of. So he had to leave him there. But he left him somewhere that would be safe and secure, where he'd be taken care of and looked after. And he said to the, the innkeeper, look, I'll give you two denarii, and whatever else it may cost to look after him, when I come back, I'll pay you. You don't have to worry about that. It may be a while, but when I come back, you'll be repaid. Can I, can I stretch this a little? Can we say that the end here is like the church where Christ has put us into to take care of us, to look after us, to have people who will nurture us, and help us and help meet our need and bless us because Christ has gone back hasn't he he's taking care of business up there isn't he but one day he's coming back Hallelujah. he's coming back for his church <laughs> and we as a church has a responsibility to take care of those who come into the house of God with all their attendant problems and needs. And sometimes it's, it's, it's quite a hard job. And sometimes, if you've been at this long enough, sometimes it's a thankless job. But you're doing it for his glory. Hallelujah. And if you do it for his glory, he'll repay. You'll be compensated. God will make sure of that. And so, 
He took him to the inn. He paid for him to be taken care of, to be looked after, until he returns. They said to the innkeeper, whatever else you have to spend, I repay you. You'll be recompensed. You'll be well looked after. So don't worry about it. I'll be a while, but I note it. I'll take care of it. And we're the same. And so this good Samaritan, you've got to be careful in parables that you don't read into too many things and make something of everything. But I think, I think, I can see something of Christ in the good Samaritan. I know that in the context of Christ's teaching, he wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves and, and love people and bless people. That, that's what he said the lawyer. But I think I can see Christ in this man. I think that's exactly what Jesus would have done if he had saw that man there. He'd have took good care of him. He'd have had compassion on him. He'd have bound him up. He'd have tended to his wounds. He'd have got a home for him. He'd done something. Remember the man in Gadara after he was delivered from those dark forces? Remember how he was naked and he ran around? And what happened after that? He was found sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Jesus made sure that he got his dignity back. And he must have told his disciples, go out and get some clothes for this man. He can't be running about naked. He's in his right mind now. He's going to be embarrassed and ashamed. Get some clothes for him. And that's exactly what they did. Because that would be the heart of Christ. To give us back dignity. And so there's, in this short time tonight, there's Christ as the good Samaritan. He's a master storyteller, isn't he, Jesus? You know that? In Matthew 13, actually, there's seven parables all relating to the kingdom of God, just one after the other. He was a genius when it came to illustrations and being able to paint word pictures. He was incredible at it. And he was especially good when it came to the, the old scribes and Pharisees and lawyers because <laughs> he would just turn the tables on them and give them a wonderful, wonderful illustration that they, they just couldn't say anything. <laughs> I mean, they were just caught. But Christ wants us, us to be like this good Samaritan and to love with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourself. Who's your neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Not easy, sure it's not. Massive challenge sometimes, isn't it? Maybe it's not to you, but I find it is to me. Some people are not easy to love. Isn't that right? And that's why the Bible says the Holy Spirit is shed in the broader hearts. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes the only way you're going to love somebody is by the help of the Holy Spirit. Because your natural love will not do it. It just won't. But thank God for his love and mercy to us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the inspiration of your precious word. We thank you that when you spoke those parables, what beautiful illustrations you gave to them and for us today. 
And Lord, they're just as relevant today as there was 2,000 years ago. So help us, Lord. Give us the strength and the grace and the power to do what you ask us to do. Because we want to be Christ-like. We want to be like Jesus. And to live like him and to do like him. So help us be that and to do that that we may glorify the Son of God in and through our lives. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk